Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and today we are getting an update on the foster care system in Oklahoma with two renowned leaders, Dr. Deb Shropshire with the Oklahoma Department of Human Services and Destiny Trailer with Sunbeam Family Services. Welcome to you both. Thanks so much for being here. Thank, Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having us. I'm excited to dive into this conversation today. Dr. Deb, as many of our listeners know, is Director of Child Welfare Services for the Oklahoma Department of Human Services, and Destiny Trailer is the Senior Program Director for Sunbeam Family Services. Dr. Deb, I'll start with you. You've been such a tremendous asset for Metro Family over the years as we have reported on the foster care system in our state. So I'd love to first get an update from you about where we are now. Last time we had you on the podcast was about a year ago. So what have been some of the biggest changes over the past year in Oklahoma's foster care system? Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. And, and we love partnering with Metro Family and the work that you all do. So thank you for even for highlighting uh, the conversation that we're going to have today um, in your space. Um, so there are, I think, continued changes around trying to figure out how to work in a, um, if I would say it this way, kind of post-COVID world or the world that has changed because of COVID, maybe that's a better way to say it. Um, and so we continue to try to understand how to engage uh, our, our set with our staff, with families, et cetera, using a broader array of engagement opportunities. And so before um, two or three years ago, everything was done face-to-face. -face. Now we have options in terms of virtual connections, meetings, ways that we deliver services. And I think we're at a place now, you know, for a season that you just had to do it that way because of public safety. Now we're entering a season of trying to understand what's the best. How do we get the best uh, interactions and outcomes um, uh, for uh, for and with our families. We've done a lot of work as well over the last year or two on serving families before foster care becomes the intervention. So trying to think through how to strengthen families in, in advance of uh, a need for foster care and also how to really support adoptive families. We have many adoptive families in our state um, who have stepped into uh, um, that, that work and how do we support them through the many years of continuing to raise those kiddos. So lots of good work going on um, in those spaces around our foster care system. And I, I want to note um, that you sent me some really exciting numbers that the children in DHS custody right now is at least a 20-year low. And I want to point back to that proactive preventative work that your team is doing is, is a huge piece of that. But that doesn't negate the need, the ongoing need for foster families in Oklahoma. No, absolutely not. And I think as we have the opportunity to talk through today, uh, we want to be able to highlight the reason why this is a great time for us to be uh, talking to people about foster care and inviting folks to step into it, because I think our state really has the opportunity to have a completely different uh, um, engagement with parents and with children through foster care than maybe we would have in the past when there were many more children and, and other kinds of crises. 
It's been really exciting and hopeful to watch um, the changes in the system as a whole, this 20 year low in children in custody. Um, there are lots of really exciting things going on. So kudos to you and your team for your great work. And Destiny, I want to pull you in too from your a, a little bit different standpoint with Sunbeam working through an agency. What have been some of the biggest changes you have witnessed in our state's foster care system over the past year? Well, I think you guys have already highlighted the um, lower number of total foster children and placement, the increased kinship placements in the state, I think is amazing because we want to keep those kids with their families if at all possible. Um, I think that we've continued to see a need for uh, families who will accept teenagers and those higher risk behaviors. And really a cool collaboration that I've seen in the past year is that increased communication between agencies and DHS in the state system and trying to figure out how we can better meet the needs of the kids in placement. All really exciting and hopeful information. Thank you all for that. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about what it looks like to become a foster parent in Oklahoma right now. Dr. Dub, walk us through how the Department of Human Services helps prepare both individuals and then also works with agencies like Sunbeam to train and equip parents to welcome children into their homes and build those relationships with kids' biological families when that's appropriate. Yeah. So let me um, let me go back just a few years and a little bit of a story, I guess, about how we got to where we did with our agency partners, because I think that story is a really important piece of Oklahoma's foster care system. Um, prior to about 10 years ago, there were private groups who were interested in understanding how to support and recruit foster families. There were a lot of nonprofits who were trying to help um, with this space, but there wasn't the uh, ability or the opportunity through the state to actually have direct partnerships where there might be private agencies who were recruiting and supporting foster families, as well as work that the state was doing itself. That changed about roughly about 10 years ago, and it has been, in my opinion, the public-private partnership between uh, DHS and those agencies has actually been not only strength, I actually think it really, really set us up well for the storm that we've all experienced over the last two or three years of changes, because it gave us the opportunity um, to have, in a sense, two different teams, one in the more of the private space, one in more of the public space, working on the same mission, which is to ensure that the children who enter the custody of the state of Oklahoma have um, safe, prepared uh, families to step into when they're um, spending their time in foster care. Um, so practically, whether uh, an agency uh, like Sunbeam is recruiting a foster family or whether the Department of Human Services is doing that, many of the steps are going to be the same. And that includes uh, some things like really having some conversations at the very beginning with people who have either uh, been around the foster care system, maybe with other foster parents to understand what it is someone might be thinking about stepping into, having someone come through a home, your home to um, talk about like how will you need to equip your home. If you haven't had uh, little kids at your house or you haven't had them there in a long time, even just having an extra set of eyes to say, okay, <laughs> we got to put 
the plastic things and the plugs and and take care of the corners and and cover the pool some of those kinds of things it's helpful to have an extra set of eyes to do that just to render a home safe and so there's a combination of understanding as a family what are we stepping into also understanding our environment and and what does that look like bringing children into our home and then there's an, a measure of training the children who enter foster care um, come from uh, situations in their lives that may be very different than the foster parents who are stepping in to serve. There may have, they may have experienced a variety of different uh, challenges, early life challenges. Um, uh, they may have experienced uh, trauma, uh, uh, various kinds of both practical, physical trauma, as well as emotional trauma. And just the fact of being separated away from your family, even if it's necessary, for safety purposes, is traumatic to kiddos. And so we've got to equip foster families with the uh, understanding of trauma and the understanding of their role in really serving as a healer or a therapeutic person in that child's life, not just the provider of a roof and meals and, and transportation. And so some of that upfront training as well as ongoing training for foster parents is something that we would provide as well as, um, as many of our agency partners. We're also, both of us are also gonna be really talking about how foster parents have a role in um, reaching to out to the biological family of that child and creating what we would say is a bridge. And so we hear this language about bridging. What we're really saying is um, being a foster parent is being a steward of somebody else's child. And so part of that stewardship is also uh, having an interest in and appreciation in how can I reach back and develop relationship with those parents. Doesn't always go exactly the way we imagine, but I think our our desire is always going to be um, to see our foster families uh, imagine themselves not just serving a child, but actually serving that child's family. That child's family is an important part of that child's experience, their heritage, who they are. And so we see kids actually do better when foster families and the, the natural parents are able to um, really collaborate during the time a child's in foster care. Excellent. Um, and, and Destiny, um, will you walk us through once Sunbeam has placed a child with a foster family, what does that ongoing support then look like? What kinds of ongoing training, support groups, or resources are you equipping them with? I think one of the things I've learned from both of you that's so important to note is when you become a foster family, you do have that ongoing support. You're not, you're not there floundering by yourself. Yes, I completely agree with that. One thing that we really try to do at Sunbeam once a child has been placed and even before that through the application process is to really be a constant source of support and communication to our foster families. We want to always provide them with any kind of resources that they may need either personally or for the foster child being placed in their home. Um, we try to do mental health consultation as soon as a need arises and if if therapy or something of that nature is needed, then we either try to provide those services internally or connect them with the appropriate resource externally as well. Um, training, we try to do as much as we can throughout the year based on the needs that come up in our homes, but really a focus on trauma-informed care and just how to appropriate, appropriately care for the children and be a bridge to those biological families. This is, this is a really hopeful time, I feel like, in our state, but I, I don't want to minimize that this is hard work that, that foster families are, are, are doing every day. And, and that's why 
all of that upfront training is so critical. And that's also why this ongoing level of support is so important. I think something I've heard from foster families that really sticks out to me is the ability to kind of have an on-call person, whether it's through DHS or through their agency, that there's always someone they can call if they have a question or have a need. Let's talk about, I know this is a, a common question in these conversations, some of the common hangups or fears that you all hear from people who are interested in becoming foster parents, but just not sure if they're ready to jump in and then how you can kind of encourage them through that. Dr. Deb, will you start? Sure. Yeah, and, and Destiny may, um, may add on to this, but I think one of the most common things that we hear is really about being concerned about, well, what if I fall in love with a kiddo? What if I bond with a kiddo? And then they return home, which again is the goal. Entry into foster care is not meant to move children from their families into new families. It's actually meant to be a support to that natural family while they're working through something that is uh, overwhelming and unsafe to their child. And um, so it is, in a sense, um, a service. It's a service that a lot of people may uh, not wish for, but it is a service that's intended to support the natural family, not to move children to new families. However, we also want our foster families to really fall in love with the kids that they're taking care of. And so how do you sort of navigate the, uh, the, the pain of that, the, um, the sort of tension of I, I love you. And at the same time, again, I'm a steward. I'm not actually the parent of this child and the lack of control often that occurs within the system that I think many foster parents feel. I, I would say specifically, I think foster parents sometimes are afraid of the state. Um, especially if they've had other uh, interactions with other foster parents who have had experiences where they didn't, the outcome didn't go the way that they wanted it to. And what I would say is um, it is not an easy thing to step into fostering and, and working with the state. We're not just talking about the Department of Human Services, but when you step into fostering, you're talking about court systems and attorneys and a whole plethora of other um, uh, folks that are making decisions. And it can feel at times, um, like a little bit of a powerless situation. That being said, what I would tell you is I have uh, been working in this work both alongside the department as well as within the department for about 20 or 25 years now at this point. I've met very, very few people who weren't deeply passionate about uh, seeing a positive outcome for a kiddo or for a family or for a foster family. When you talk to the professionals who are in this space, they're trying very, very hard to serve well. It's just a complicated system. And so I think stepping into um, the fear of, of running into having to go to court or having to interact with DHS, if you can come with the perspective of all these people want what's right and good too, I think starting with that perspective often helps overcome that fear because there are many, many, many good people uh, working in this space in a professional way. Absolutely. Destiny, what would you add to that about some common fears that you hear? Well, I completely agree with Dr. Deb. The number one thing that we hear is, what if I get too attached? And that's a really hard one to navigate. But what I always say is, I want you to get too attached because we really want our foster families to be able to form that positive attachment with the children. And it's important. And that means you're going to be a good foster family. But I think that another thing that we hear is, 
the whole bridging concept. What does that mean? What does it mean when we bridge with the biological family? And I think that we need to do a better job just as agencies and foster care in educating what that looks like and how positive the impact can be on that child's life and even on the biological family. We have amazing stories that we just need to share more and help educate people on what that looks like. I have several dear friends who are foster families and uh, the most incredible experiences that I get to hear about through them are, you know, years later when a child has been able to return to their biological family and that former foster family still has an ongoing relationship there. They're still a resource. They get to attend the kids' birthday parties. And obviously not every situation works out like that, kind of neatly wrapped up with a bow. But from, from my friends' experiences, more often than not, it does. And um, so yes, they, they have gotten too attached, but they still get to have some kind of relationship and attachment, not just with the child, but with the family. And at the end of the day, you know, that's certainly what we can at least hope is going to happen in many of those situations. Destiny, I know one of the key things that Sunbeam is looking for right now is bilingual and diverse foster families. Can you give us some examples of how important and powerful it can be for a child when they can be placed with a foster family who is either bilingual or whose cultural background or ethnicity allows them to more specifically meet that child's needs? Yes, I think that's something that we have really started exploring um, recently is how do we recruit diverse foster families that accurately reflect the children in care? Um, I think we all know that that connection to your own culture and your own family and traditions and way of life, and even if it's if it's a Spanish-speaking language, is so important to continue to have and keep that intact. And what a lot of people don't realize that also helps with that relationship with the biological family and continuing that and deepening that in order to have the kids go home and be successful with that relationship. So that that's really something that we are working to explore, whether that be um, different religious backgrounds, different languages and things of that nature. The goal is to ultimately reunify. And in order to keep those traditions intact, we have to have those children placed with families who reflect that. That's so important and exciting. Um, exciting that I feel like there's um, even more of this movement to really place children in foster care with the exact right family that's going to be best able to meet their needs. Dr. Deb, what are some of the other key needs right now in Oklahoma when it comes to recruiting foster families? Yeah, so um, I, I would say a, a couple of things. First of all, um, having foster families that actually really love teenagers is something that we are in deep need of. I have teenagers. I didn't know if I would love being a mom of teenagers and it turns out I really do. There is something about the independence and watching teens uh, figure out who they are and um, navigate uh, the, the sort of growth that comes in junior high and high school and, and into young adulthood that, that I really enjoy. And I'm interested in having foster parents who are not just tolerate a teenager, but who actually 
just fall in love with them and all of the chaos that teenagers bring with them and help those those young people navigate um, into adulthood. It's a very, I think, rewarding um, space to serve as a foster parent. We also have a need for families who are interested in serving not just young children, uh, but young children who have particular needs. And so we have uh, quite a number of young children, zero to five, who come from situations where maybe they had substance exposure prior to birth. Uh, maybe they've been diagnosed with autism or other kinds of uh, pretty significant developmental or behavioral health needs. Certainly Sunbeam has been a great partner in infant mental health uh, to this uh, state. And um, so being able to uh, step into fostering a young child intentionally with the knowledge that I'm going to need uh, some extra skill and some good partnerships with mental health uh, specialists who understand infant mental health um, is another space where we need foster parents um, to serve. I think at the end of the day, as much as anything, what I need folks to know is that foster parenting is a it is a um, a space we need people to step with the imagination that they are going to be a therapeutic place for a child, not just a physical place for a child to stay. These kiddos need whatever age they are. They really, really need uh, uh, someone to learn about and understand the the things that they've gone through, the trauma that they may have gone through, or the the challenges that they may face, and to be curious about it and to be patient and also to be willing to um, find those behavioral health resources in the community that can help them um, be successful. That's what it's going to take. It's not just, um, oh, I have an open bedroom, although that's also helpful, but it really is parents who are committed to stepping in and in and, and, and providing a therapeutic uh, family opportunity for a child. When people do that, however, it completely changes the trajectory of a kiddo's life. And so I've seen kids that you could imagine how the end of their story would go based on sort of the data of what outcomes of kiddos in foster care um, kind of looks like. And you could see the change that, an, that a strong foster family brought simply in falling in love with that kid, gaining some skills, gathering up uh, the people around them who could help. And you just watch that that child or that young person um, kind of heal and take off um, in life in a different way. And so it's a very, very rewarding space to be. But we definitely have need for people to be very intentional as they step into foster care. And Dr. Deb, when we're talking specifically about therapeutic foster care for children who have um, either health or behavioral needs, Will you talk a little bit about the additional training and support that's provided for foster families who decide that that's the route, that's the role that they want to play? Yeah. So you know, in the past, we've had a specific program aimed at therapeutic foster care. What I would tell you now is that I think we have a broadening uh, uh, recognition that pretty much all foster care has to have a therapeutic element to it. And um, so for those families, whether they're stepping into something that's actually called or titled therapeutic foster care, or they're just stepping into regular foster care, um, they should expect that there's going to need to be some additional uh, uh, training, learning, maybe even in-home coaching uh, for them as they're serving a specific child, because only so much of that kind of learning can happen before a child's in your home. Um, you know, in the same way parent, we are with, as when we're parenting our own children, you know, we, we go to the hospital, you get this baby, nobody gives you a rule book, you have to sort of figure it out. 
as you go and you figure it out often with your with your village which with your own extended family or people around you who help you or maybe professionals in your life such as a pediatrician or a therapist the same is true for fostering so we can provide some upfront training but there's going to need to be for sure some additional training around specific needs of the the child or children that a foster parent takes into their home and and that can look a variety of different ways um, but particularly for those children that are identified as having higher level developmental or behavioral health needs, we're going to want to, to uh, provide training specific to that. And I think that level of really individualized care and support um, can kind of help with a lot of those fears or questions that people have as they're considering foster care. Um, I know I've heard you say that oftentimes when a child is placed in a home and, and they kind of get comfortable, that's when you start to maybe see some of those behaviors or, or even some of those previously diagnosed situations come about. And like you said, you're not going to know what those look like until you do get a child in the home and comfortable. And that's when um, you're really able to provide those specific support resources for families. That's right. For those in the community who maybe are unable to foster but really want to help, how does someone go about getting involved in providing respite care or what other opportunities are available to support foster families? Destiny, will you give us some ideas? Sure. So as far as becoming a respite family, that process looks just the same as becoming a foster family. So if you're interested in doing that, you can contact a foster family agency such as Sunbeam. You can contact DHS and they can walk you through that process. Um, some other ideas on how to support is something as simple as gift cards, gift cards for restaurants or even um, recreational activities that the family, the foster family can go and enjoy together. Um, that seems so simple, but it is. it really goes a long way. Um, one of the really neat things that we've had happen is some Uber Eats gift cards for our families. And, you know, sometimes you're so busy, you can't cook dinner for the entire family. And so that's a really simple thing, but a huge help that goes a really long ways. Um, any kind of appreciation type gifts for our foster families, birthday boxes for our kids in care. I mean, the list can go on and on about how individuals, families, organizations or even businesses can support our families and the kids in care. Those are some great ideas. Dr. Deb, do you have anything you want to add to that? I mean, I think I would just also say you can connect with organizations like our foster care agencies or various other organizations that serve foster parents, but also most people have a foster parent in their orbit somewhere, whether it's uh, another parent who's in the same class, you know, has a kiddo in the same class uh, as their kiddos at school, whether it's somebody who goes to your church, um, whatever it is, if you just simply look around, you will probably find someone who's fostering and you could just ask them like what is helpful because a lot of times I think foster foster care can be isolating for people. They sort of get very busy with the work of it, the, the, all the various um, things that they're doing to parent as well as to attend other meetings, court, those kinds of things. And I think I often feel alone in that process. And so um, being willing to just reach out to your neighbor who's fostering and say, say, hey, I'm willing to be an extended part of this thing that you're doing. How can I help? And that's where, where some of these things like bringing meals or saying, hey, I can take the kiddos to the park on a Saturday so you can go to the grocery store by yourself. Hallelujah, which isn't that such a gift. Uh, when you're parenting, 
those kinds of things are what sustain our foster families, and they give uh, a, a whole lot of um, ability for many community members to get involved in this thing called fostering. You mentioned that we only have a little under 6,700 kids in foster care right now. I mean, that does not mean we only need 6,700 people to raise their hand. What that means is we just don't need as many foster homes as maybe we have in the past, although I think we have the opportunity to create capacity and actually have choices, which is good for our kids. But there's room for thousands and thousands of people to step into the work surrounding those foster families and really help um, really help support and sustain them. So look around. That's probably my uh, best advice for folks who want to know how they can help. And it doesn't have to be grand gestures, which is what I appreciate so much about what you're both saying. It can be something very small, um, but it's those small things that I think can really impact um, our families who are providing foster care. Um, I know for some of my friends, I would just text them and say, it's, you know, back to school season, what do the kids need for back to school? Okay, send me their shoe sizes, what shoes do they like, and I'll drop them on your porch later. Um, and, and to me, that was a very small thing. Um, it, it wasn't a lot of money out of my wallet. It wasn't a lot of time spent for me, but kind of the mental load, as we all understand as parents, um, when, when you are a foster parent, just having somebody take those little pieces off of your mental load can make a huge difference. Um, as we're, you know, approaching the holidays, asking those families in your circles, what's, what's on the kids' Christmas lists, and can I pick those things up for them? That can make a big difference. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges our foster care system in Oklahoma is facing as a whole? There's a lot of good things going on, but I know you guys are always looking to continually improve. What's your vision for addressing some of those challenges and how can our community help? Dr. Deb, will you start? Yeah, I sure will. That's a great question. And so um, we, we've mentioned a couple of times the fact that the number of kids in out-of-home care is lower, but this provides an incredible opportunity to build capacity of foster homes so that everybody's not actually having to do the work at the same time. <laughs> if we had options, uh, we, it would be easier for us to match kiddos with families who, who are a good match. I know Destiny mentioned the idea of culturally uh, competent or similar families. I would say also neighborhoods, like keeping kids in their school district or in their local community. Right now, uh, kiddos may be placed across the state. About two-thirds of all the kiddos who are in um, foster care are placed somewhere away from the county of origin. And so having capacity to be able to keep kids close to home, close to those things that are familiar with for, uh, for them in their school district or their same daycare or those kinds of things are critical. And adding uh, foster home capacity to where there are options for that really, I think, matters a lot. It also, I think, would add sustainability because it makes it easier for families to take a break or for two families to partner together to serve kiddos, especially when we're talking about some of these more complex kiddos or large families where there's multiple siblings. And you don't really want those siblings to have to be in different places, but sometimes one family can't take on all of that. Where we have capacity and, and two families can come together and serve um, really together uh, is, is a real win, um, not only for those individual families and their longevity as foster families, but also for those kids um, and, and the healing that goes on with those kids. I, I think um, 
We've mentioned the complex needs of some of the kiddos that are coming into our care. What I would tell you is as we get better at serving families um, before foster care is the solution, whether that's um, child welfare or really other organizations that are trying to strengthen families so that they never even come to the attention of child welfare. As that goes better in our state, fewer families will come um, to the attention of child welfare and fewer uh, children will need to be in foster care. I think of foster care like an ICU. You want it in your community because if you're really, really hurt, you need the ICU, but nobody's volunteering to go there. And you really want to be able to do things that take care of yourself at home with some medicine or some home health or things like that instead of having to go to the hospital if you can. If we see foster care like that, then uh, we imagine we're going to have to build a more complex, highly supportive uh, foster care system than, um, than maybe we've had to have in the past. And we've been alluding to that and talking about the extra training and the, the different supports that are going to be needed for foster families to be able to serve kiddos that have high needs. The other area I would tell you um, is a challenge and also where we're going is really around post-adoption support. We have 21,000 children who have been adopted by Oklahoma families from the Department of Human Services, uh, 21,000 children who are under 18. So that's children who are still being cared for by parents who adopted them. And in the past, uh, we've primarily uh, supported through subsidy, some financial support, or Medicaid eligibility, uh, but but really what those families, uh, some of the families need is more of a sense of how do I take care of a child who's been adopted through the different developmental stages of their life. So if I adopted a child as a young child, but now they're a preteen, uh, they start asking different questions about adoption and where they came from and what they've experienced. What if they're a teenager? And uh, we have a lot of room in our state to develop adoption competent uh, uh, clinical opportunities, uh, mental health services, uh, even supports, support networks and systems for adoptive families. Um, a lot of work needs to be done there. And as the department, we are actually tackling a piece of that by really strengthening our post-adoption post-adoptive team to instead of waiting for people to call us when they have a problem to actually outreach and say, how can we help you? But we're going to absolutely need um, many, many other folks in the community to connect adoptive families with because I, we, we would not necessarily be the primary agency to support adoptive families. So we have a role there. We need many other people in Oklahoma stepping into the space saying, I want to help adoptive families and kiddos who've been adopted. So that's an opportunity for us that we're tackling, but it's also a real, a real uh, challenging space right now. That's a lot of exciting work that is to come. Thank you for sharing, Dr. Deb. Destiny, what about you? What are some of the biggest challenges that you're seeing and your vision for how the community can address them? I think that as far as an agency goes, one of the biggest challenges is recruiting for teams. Um, that has historically been very difficult because people go into foster care and they want the younger kids. Um, I think that there is something out there that says the younger kiddos are easier and that's not always the case. So I always love to emphasize the education that goes around um, what it means to take on a teen and what that would look like. Um, 
I think we all have some amazing stories that we can share about families who maybe weren't on the on on board with taking a teenager and then they ended up taking a teenager and it worked out beautifully. So um, I would love to um, continue to explore that and figure out different ways we can do that in the future. Um, you know, I think that um, we can all just do better on the education front. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, what are each of you feeling most hopeful about in terms of the state's foster care system and the work ahead? Destiny, will you start? Yes. So I am so hopeful about the direction that the state is going, the partnership that the agencies have, um, that private-public partnership moving forward has just unrolled itself, unraveled itself, and it looks very promising. And I think that there are so many different things that we can do when we work together as a team. We're all working for the same goal and the same mission. And so doing that together, I think, is one of the most exciting things that the state has going for them right now. Dr. Deb, what about you? What are you feeling hopeful about? Man, I don't think I could have said it better than Destiny just did. I, I think uh, the sheer a number of people who are saying, hey, I'm interested, how can I help? Uh, whether that's organizations, nonprofits, individuals, churches, um, is really, really something. And again, haven't been around this work for a couple of decades. I mean, I definitely remember the years when there was no one out there, uh, when state workers didn't have anybody <laughs> they could call for help. And so I see the, uh, the, um, the ability to support my own team, my own child welfare team in that, in, in these partnerships and that they feel, my team feels more hopeful. My team feels like they're not alone. Like they're not the only ones who are trying to serve uh, complex uh, kid and family situations. And that support for our own state workers to me is a huge deal because when our team is healthy and strong and collaborative and um, feels like they, they've got other people around that they can uh, they can reach out to, um, we will do a better job uh, serving uh, kids and families. And so I think the partnerships, I think the way Destiny said it, the growth in partnerships, the willingness of the state to be a, a partner in a variety of public-private partnerships, um, and then ultimately how that actually strengthens um, all of us uh, in our sort of daily mission, I think is a really, really exciting uh, thing. And I just look forward to, to it continuing. I'm just going to tell you, I've watched, I've been a number of different states, talked to a number of different state leaders um, uh, in other state child welfare systems. We were absolutely buffered against some of the worst effects that COVID could have had on our system because we had strong private partnerships. And so I have um, mad respect for the um, agencies, the foster care agencies that we work with, like Sunbeam, as well as the many other uh, partners that are out there that really helped us survive this, this sort of hurricane that COVID has been um, against our systems and against families. And I just think we're, we're actually in better shape right now than many other places are. And I think that sets us up uh, for a really, a really exciting next few years. Well, I always feel more hopeful and excited when I get to talk with both of you. So I appreciate so much your time, um, all the incredible work that you both do in our community, that your teams do in our community. Um, and I will close this out with my 
always message and challenge to all of our listeners that we all have a role to play in the foster care system in our state, whether that is being a foster family for a kiddo who needs it, or whether we can find a foster family or agency near us to support as we move into the holiday season, especially. I challenge all of you listening to find those ways that, that you can be a support in our community. Dr. Deb and Destiny, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.